Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. I'm glad that we're recording this because we are um, jumping into some uh, like debrief of the Catherine Covington conversation. Yes. That we had. We were really grateful that she was willing to come on the podcast and give us just some great, uh, great conversation. Oh, yeah. And some like really interesting perspective, very thoughtful. Um, and then also just was very vulnerable and, yeah. and willing to share uh, some struggles that she's had in her own life. And so, one, we are super grateful for that. Um, we hope that you as a listener, if you haven't listened to that, uh, take some time to listen to that interview that we had with her. Um, and then we're going to jump into some things uh, that, or some themes that came from that conversation. So, um, Bryn, can I throw it over to you and we just start the conversation um, about, yeah, some some of the takeaways and some more conversations that we can have on top of um yeah, yeah, that that interview, for sure. Yeah, so once again, really thankful for that interview and her vulnerability, and just I feel like there's so many things that we can pull from it, um, just that we can have great conversation about, but also learn from, and and I know our hopefully you the listener will um, be able to do the same. Just when it comes to, you know, every conversation we have, we talk about this, but it's so multifaceted of our, our first goal for having interviews and, and interviewing other people is to learn and hear their story and understand. Um, and then, you know, the saying that if we don't study history, it repeats itself. And so a lot of it too is like, okay, what, what has been done poorly in the church and in families in the past and how can we avoid that in our, in our own families and, um, in our own cultures or subcultures and churches. And then also, um, how do we learn, um, people's stories in a way that helps us listen to them better and, and engage, you know, better as we go on. So I'm, I'm really thankful for it, but, um, yeah, a couple, there's a lot of things I feel like we could unpack. Um, maybe do you want to start with the, just the wisdom booklets or uh, well can we actually start? can There's we actually definitely some material can there. We, i feel like that one will be even more of the the conversation mm-hmm. Bryn, i liked your initial thought when you brought it up though about like especially for the people who we know are listening um the parenting side yeah of things mm-hmm. so what if we start okay, yeah. there and then because then i think yeah, that lends great. itself to the rest of the conversation that i think has potential to explode sure Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, um, yeah. So then I think there was a lot from her story that I personally learned from and was just a good, it seemed like a lot of the things that were taught to her and in ways that she was instructed were easy to fall into. Um, and they were things that had good motives behind them, which I think is always, um, just really, 
um, the most powerful kind of deception is something that's based, you know, or has some truth in it. And so, right. Um, so I think one of the things that stood out to me was just the promise. Like she talked about her, her parents, um, she felt like fell into this cult because of it promised really good things. And it promised that, you know, if you follow all these rules and if you fight all these battles and if you do all the things to an extreme, then your kids will essentially be sinless. And so you're fighting hard battles now, but it's with the, it's with the promise of your kids are going to be more like Christ. And that's a really good goal. And that was distorted. It seems like in Mm. the way that it was presented. And so very, that is a deception that seems really appealing. And I think um, that plus like parenting out of fear is just something that stood out to me of like, okay, what are, what are ways that, that we are acting not out of grace and truth and clinging to scripture, but instead out of fear of an alternative. And it's, it's actually causing us to, to mar the truth or twist the truth. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, I don't know if that's a good place to start, but just kind of the initial, as she was talking about how she feels like her family got into the cult, I think was really powerful in the way she described it. Um, because I, I mean, I can see that appeal and I, I get it, you know, I was, it was interesting to hear her reference, um, because reference that and the way that played out, because I feel like there's this uh, in my brain, there's like this, um, I don't know, hierarchy of, you know, truth towards faults. And this, the cult that she, her family is a part of is up there near the top of not good of, of false teaching, just all kinds of stuff. And we'll even unpack that a little more before we're done, I think today, but, mm-hmm. um, Somewhat below that, what's interesting is that that taints other things. So she, remember her referencing that her parents had a book um, called "The Strong-Willed Child" mm-hmm. um, on her on their bedside yeah. table. Well, that's I'm sure that was James Dobson's book, "The Strong-Willed Child," mm-hmm. and and yeah. Dobson's, I've, which I've read and mm-hmm. and generally speaking, thought was pretty good, pretty sound as a whole. Mm-hmm. But if you take that um, and you and you mix what's good about even something like that. Like she referenced that, you know, the motivation of the book was to break the child's will. Well, if you, if you read the book, Dr. Dobson does a huge distinction between the will and the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, mm-hmm. actually one of the big distinctions of the book is it is appropriate. All of us need our will broken. None of us need our spirit broken. And so how do we do that in a healthy way? Well, if you, yeah, just, just that alone, hey, yeah, you need to break your child's will. Well, that sounds terrible. I mean, that, that sounds abusive. Right. In yeah. context, if you understand the context of the whole book, it's, it's even if you don't like the language, the concept is all of us have to learn how to submit to authorities in our lives, God being the most significant one. If we don't mm-hmm. know how to submit our will, we can't really grow up. At the same time, man, if if what you're getting is this constant message of, your will needs to be broken mm. um, without a correct understanding of that. And and I love the mm. fact that, for example, I heard an interviewer ask James Dobson, you know, a million years ago, what um, would you guarantee me exactly what we were just talking about? Would you guarantee me a good kid? So if I handed my mm. child over to you right. 
and you used all of your parenting principles and you did all this type of stuff, would, could you guarantee me my kid would turn out okay? And, and of course, Dr. Dobson was like, absolutely not. Like, I, I think my odds would be better than average mm -hmm. because I think we have good parenting techniques. And mm -hmm. I think, I think some of these would make, give, give your child a better than average shot right. at making it. And better if nothing else is like, if, if your child would be neglected or done, you're right. You know, right. it's like, it's better than doing nothing. Right. I see, but I see what you mean. Yeah. But it's, it's fascinating that, you know, but then you had like, I think she's right that some of these others like the Gothards Institute gave a much more a leads to B type of message. If you do this, this way, and, and they would take the irony is they would take wisdom literature from the Bible, like, you know, raise up a child in the way they should go or in the Hebrew, the way they are bent. Um, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Well, mm -hmm. That's that's not some kind of a, a leads to be promise. There mm -hmm. are good parenting principles that we want to apply, um, and those work out one way or another, more mm -hmm. or less. And each of us have our own decisions to make throughout mm -hmm. that process too. So, I agree. I think that's one of the signs of a cult is that cults overpromise. Mm -hmm. um, but isn't that like? Dangerous. But isn't that yeah, like I us as humans I... to want an an easy? an easy fix, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a Even if it's not easy, a right, fix. A solution to a complicated problem that we can't, right? we cannot do. Sorry, Bryn, for interrupting you. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say, I I think also it it's a testament to how damaging um, false teaching can be when it's combined with truth. Because like you're saying, Chris, that a lot of that book you would agree with and but combined with like an unhealthy view of authoritarianism and even like extreme legalism and all that, that the cult offered, mm -hmm. you know, like the combination of that was really harmful. Right. And so it's almost like truth that is twisted by, it's not just falsehood. It's like truth twisted and combined with falsehood mm -hmm. seems even more potent and even yes. more damaging. And then I feel like it's even harder to rebuild because now not only is she just, it's not like she was believing something she could throw everything away from, you know, it's like, Oh, if I was, right. if I was, you know, a Muslim or a Buddhist or something, it's like, no, that, that whole way of life and my belief system, I can throw that out versus, okay, now I have to sift through what was, what was right, what was actually biblical and what was, what was made up. I feel like that is really difficult. Right. You know, Oh, totally. So like daunting. That, that is so hard. Because, I mean, I think she even talked about that, of like how, trying to figure out what what is true and, you know, I, what do I actually believe and what, you know, because, I mean, I, I would... even having the motivation to seek truth mm -hmm. when it was combined with so much hurt. You know? Right, right. Yep. That It, it makes it, it much more difficult. Trauma now. Mm -hmm. Right. We, and remember, we, we talked with her about you know, how much, how difficult it must be for her because, you know, she comes in and has a conversation with us and which again, she was brilliant, but it was, it was really wild to think, man, how careful she has to be. So even if she gets a, a good answer to some of her questions, her brain is still, I mean, her, her soul is, has all, is still going to have that. Yeah. But can I trust this? Right. Because I've heard good answers before. My family got good answers before and they couldn't be trusted. And and so, yeah. or people are loving, well, but can I trust that? I mean, that's 
that's one of the real damaging factors of church hurt um, and mm-hmm. of, of cults like that is they they not only do they hurt you, but then they put you in a position to always have to defend yourself from future. Yeah. And and how do you tell the good from the bad when you thought the bad was good at some point? Mm-hmm. And you go like, well, this is good too. Mm-hmm. Well, but I've thought that before. Right. And so that's that's heartbreaking. Yeah. What a difficult challenge for her. And I'm I'm really proud that she's still wrestling with it. I think by far the easiest option would be to give up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. On the on the parenting side of things, yeah. I think it was also, um, and maybe you're heading this way, Bryn, but just talk like, um, and this kind of lends itself to the um, wisdom booklet conversation. But talking, you know, thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what sort of worldview am I communicating to my kids? Am I, am I, do I know the Bible in a way that's like, mm-hmm. I can distinguish what is true and what is false, you know, because then you have the, uh, yeah. as she's talking about wisdom booklets and those being, you know, an interpretation of scripture that from what she was communicating and her understanding was, hey, you can actually use this in place of scripture. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I don't know where to, were you were going to on jump, that. As I tried to jump into that really quick, I yeah. tried to jump into that at the beginning just because I'm like, man, there's so much No, there, I mean, no, there is I, so much. And I didn't yeah, know if that's where we you were on, wanting to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, eventually. But I think my question, I kind of want to ask Chris mm-hmm. just yeah. what, and this may be a longer conversation, but like from this story. I think I have a lot of questions Mm -hmm. from her story. Um, but like, what would you say about, um, like parenting from a, like, how do you, (laughs) this may be like, yes. Um, and we'll be starting a parenting class (laughs) for 12 weeks, um, as a side podcast, but like, and just as your initial thoughts of how do you teach your kids that like, there is truth, there's an absolute truth here's, it applies to all of life. Here's Mm -hmm. the way that it applies. And also parent out of grace and parent from a way that, um, just teaches kids to want to love truth instead of be afraid of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just understand, like, like she said, it's, it was so struck me listening to it once again and hearing her say like, it was never enough. There was always something else to do. You were always missing the mark. Right. And, and so, and we talked about that with her of like, some of that's the gospel, but then some of that is like extreme legalism. That's not the gospel at all. It's like Mm. antithetical to the heart of Jesus. And so what do you do with that as a parent, like as a much more seasoned parent than (laughs) than the rest of us? Well, how do you, like, what do you do with that? So I actually, when I teach on parenting and I need to, I'm behind on, uh, creating a series of web uh, articles uh, on my website to, to about this, but I actually use the picture of of that it, it's the parent's job to give freedoms, um, and with the freedoms they have to give responsibility. So a lot of people, they're you know, what do I need to get from my kids? And and I think a much more graceful attitude is what can I? What am I giving my kids? And so especially in regards to freedoms, a lot of parents especially in the Christian world, have a ten- tendency to try to protect their kids, overprotect their kids. And they don't give away freedoms and they don't give them the freedom to, to risk and the opportunity to fail and, and things like that. And, and so I think, I think we give our children 
as they're younger, the basics, as would help them understand the basics that, you know, God is, that there are certain truths. There is a God and he is good. And, and, and those basic understandings as they're growing up as a child. And then at some point, they're going to get to the age where now they need to have those conversations. And so it's the difference between knowing what a ball is and playing football. And so they need to know what a ball is and they need to understand the basics of that kind of stuff. But then at some point they're going to need to actually play the game. And that's when a lot of Christian parents, I think, fail is when they is when they keep the child trapped at this level of don't ask questions like that. I'm uncomfortable with those questions, so you can't ask those questions or I don't know how to answer your questions, so you can't ask those questions. Um, And I actually prefer being the one who asks some of those questions with my kids like, to discuss those type of things. Well, how, 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 what do you do with that? And how do you handle this situation? And, you know, what does the, what does the Bible say about that? And does that really apply? And, and so I think when we can have those conversations with the kids get older, you know, younger, little kids are tougher for me because uh, they don't, they're, they're not as conversational when they get older is when they're um, easier for me to engage with. My wife's really, really good with them when they're little. Um, but, but, uh, I love when they get to the point when they start asking questions and pushing back and, and challenging thinking, because mm-hmm. I think that's a vital step. And it's really interesting to have those conversations and to not be afraid of them and to not shut them down. And to, again, that's one of the indications of a cult is they can't tolerate various perspectives. Um, they can't tolerate people asking questions. Um, and so I think that's a, um, I, w- I really want to encourage parents that your kids, especially as they get older and start asking those questions, they need to be able to stretch those muscles and, and flex those muscles and use them. And we need to give them the opportunity to do so. So when they say questions, you know, like let them, let them wrestle with that. I, I would love, like one of the things I'd love to do is have Catherine back at some time and let her ask the questions, you know, mm-hmm. let her interview us. Um, And so I think that'd be fascinating to, to let her ask some of those questions because yeah. my sense is she's not gotten to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the case with a lot of people, but the difference is, you know, she still seems very open to the conversation, which I think is healthy um, and really good. Like she's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of deconstruction that ha- that has happened, but there's also uh, an intellectual honesty about that, that, that is, you know, mm-hmm. I certainly appreciate Mm-hmm. Um, in my own paths of yeah. construction and deconstruction that I feel like I, I want to model that as well, have that same, you know, intellectual honesty and spiritual honesty about it, that some of these things are hard and I may have to change my views on some of it. And, um, and, and that's cults that, yeah, don't yeah, do that. You're right. That was like one thing. That, right. I was so struck by the grace that she was able to have in that conversation and like graciousness mm-hmm. when it's like, that's not what was modeled for her at all. Yeah. And I think it was interesting. My sense was that probably her parents and she was, you know, so careful and graceful about that, too. But I think it's likely that her parents probably did have a sense of of that. It sounded like there was a sense of that. They were just being led not to. And so as they started realizing that and pushing back and walking away from it, it sounded like they were she was able to accept you know, their motives in a lot of that. And that made a huge difference. Um, so anyway, I, I, th- I agree with you. I thought she was, she showed a lot of, of grace and patience for these, these difficult conversations um, and wasn't trying to throw people under the bus, except for some of the religious leaders who, 
Mm. You know, uh, maybe maybe they know better. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. Um, but that's a that's tough. Um, it's tough. It's it is tough, and I think it's appropriate that we are harder on those who claim to be the mm-hmm. leaders and claim to have all the answers. Um, I think Jesus was pretty tough on them at times. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And um, I think, so my other question, then we can move on from parenting, but like, what is a good way in in y'all's mind of, because this is very convicting to me, I think of, I think a lot of Christians and she talked about this at the very end. Um, we focus so much on truth and that in and of itself is not bad, but it's like we panic when people ask questions or push back and we panic so much that it like sucks the grace out of the conversation or the engagement. And it's almost like, Oh, but that's not true. Like I need to tell you the truth. I need to, Mm. you know, speak truth. And, and almost to a point where we don't just take a breath and, and let people ask questions and push back. And so that Mm -hmm. was really convicting just to me of, Once again, we've talked about that so many times, but just hearing the practical application of that, of like, okay, when we are either raising our kids or engaging with our friends or whatever it is, yes, truth is important, but the way that we communicate and the way that we, if we're representing Christ and we are only representing his truth and not his love, that Mm. is going to be really harmful to people. Right. And you're not just... And so I think my question... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Continue. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think it's important to people here. That's not just you know some kind of liberal, touchy feely version of Christianity. That is direct scripture. Um, and so, whether it's yes. Ephesians four, um, I think it's fifteen. I'm looking it up, but Ephesians four fifteen um, that says that we that maturity is learning is being able to speak the truth in love. Uh, yep, verse fifteen. Mm-hmm. Rather. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Um, and so I, I think that passage is teaching us that people who can only speak truth or love are immature. Mm-hmm. Um, they're immature in their faith. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I mean, first, the, the, the apologetics verse, meaning apologetics, meaning um, an, a reason, an explanation for what you believe, right. is First Peter 3.15. Um. Uh, verse, uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense um, to anyone who asks you for a reason, there's the apologia word, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Mm-hmm. And so again, we're, we're not saying, we're not saying this because we're saying like, oh, you need to, you know, hold back and not give the truth. No, what we're saying is you need to learn to have a a freezing cold shower or a scalding hot shower, but neither are good. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to integrate truth and love as completely as possible. The more of both, the better. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would say parents are sometimes the worst at that, that, that we are, we remind our kids of the truth all the time, sometimes forgetting that it is still a maturity on our part. If we're only teaching the truth without love, um, and so that's, that's what we, you know, desperately want to be able to do is to speak the truth and love to them. So they see it. I mean, how long ago was it that Josh McDowell mm-hmm. made the famous statement rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Mm-hmm. And 
Mm-hmm. Again, that's not, he's not wrong. He's not wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, those are great uh, questions. Anything else uh, on your end, Bryn, as far as the parenting side? Because I think those are, I think one, that's just such a good parenting thing to even talk about parenting from fear, parenting from a place of anxiety of, oh my goodness, what are, how are my kids going to turn out? And then that can lead to, if we're just living out of that anxiety, can really um, cause us to be helicopter parents and right. parents that are not, like you were saying, Chris, are not allowing our kids to to have that room to grow, right. room to spread their wings and make those mistakes. And to ask questions the, without... Exactly. And, and to be able to engage in those conversations. It is the, I think it's the number one failure for, in almost all our relationships, mm. but especially our parenting, yeah. that we talk too quickly. Yeah. Um, that's, mm-hmm. That is huge. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, we, we've got to learn to listen. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen, listen. And it's amazing how often I've, I've done it in counseling and with my own kids so many times that when you listen, they work their way to the answer that you would lecture them with anyway. And if you'll just listen yeah. and let them talk through it and let them work through it, they will. And you just ask questions for clarity and you get to know them better and understand that it's amazing how often they will do that. They keep working in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yep. I think to answer your question, Colson, my, my only other thought is like, I think the sad part of this um, whole topic is like when we focus so much on truth without love. So like Chris is saying, when we don't listen and we're like, but I got to tell you, but I got to, you know, we just have to talk at them. Then it's almost removing the, like, I mean, the Lord, the Lord can, will pursue people and their relationship with him is, um, you know, he, he develops relationship with people regardless of our failures constantly. But, but I think a lot of times it takes the heart out of the, the heart out of Christianity. And so often when we're just preaching truth and we're not doing a good job of developing relationship or even communicating love, it's like, it's creating a picture of Christianity that is like Chris mentioned in our conversation, Mm -hmm. it's like pharisaical and then it's like all about the rules and following to a T, Mm -hmm. but the relationship is completely missing and the heart of Jesus is missing. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're, I think it's like people is, are unintentionally creating like a roadblock in the yes in the process yeah, it's of like you know understanding. what Jesus right and so in in essence you are you kind of know the things that Jesus wants and calls us to but you're missing the heart of why and then the love for him that makes you want to even do any of the things yeah yeah, if you're not, that's that's but. both. And and by the way, just in case there's someone out there who would be thinking like, yeah, that's why I don't ever push my kids on the truth. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not the right answer either. We do need to have, right. our kids do need to know there is such a thing as truth and that there are answers to mm-hmm. these questions and that you're comfortable with it. But, but they are so encouraged to know those when we are willing to let them ask those questions unafraid. And, and then when we've listened well, um, then our opinion carries with it so much more power. Mm-hmm. Um, again, right. the old axiom from John Maxwell that people don't 
care what you know until they know that you care. Mm-hmm. I feel like Chris shared today. I'm saying all these little yeah, this is good. Clever little quippy things, but <laughs> just, um, just stop, just stop, uh, stop citing them. Exactly everybody's right. gonna be like, "Man, Chris, Chris is so smart. He, he says exactly, all these clever man, things." Very um, good. You should write a book. Um, but I think that's a, uh, and I think there's something to that, including with our kids, including with our spouse, and so we we mm-hmm. gain that platform by listening and caring and asking questions and and all that kind of stuff, and then when we've done that well, then we can. Then when we speak, then what we have to say carries with it real weight. Um, And that's, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Yeah. Because like we talked about with her, it creates when that is missing, it creates like knowing all the rules. And so you have the guilt and shame of knowing what's right and knowing that you're missing the mark, but Mm -hmm. it's void of the relationship of like the point of all the things that we're called to and the point of truth. And so it's almost like the worst of both worlds because you're not in ignorance, you know, the do's and don'ts and rights and wrong, but you're also missing like the beauty of why we're called to live the way that we are and the relationship that comes with that. Yep. You know, so cool with the Lord, but anyway. And, and by the way, if I would tell people, if, if where you are in your walk is some version of that, that's not teaching that, that you're not being taught that version, that speaking the truth in love, that, that idea of sharing the faith in love with grace, um, then it's not a, it's, it's not a complete gospel. I mean, I know there's the, you know, the full gospel churches are often the ones that are more charismatic or something like that. And I, every time I see that heading like full gospel, I'm like, good grace and truth. They're, they're teaching the truth in love. That's not usually what that means. But, right, right, right. But, but like the full but yeah, gospel. But if, but if you're taking it what it should mean. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so often, and, and that's, again, why our kids need more adults than us in their lives, because usually at least, you know, parent, some parents are good at, are, are naturally, we, we're better at one than the other. And, you know, <laughs> it's great when they, our kids can experience some different perspectives on that stuff too. And that's... Another indicator, by the way, to your kids that you're not afraid, that this you don't have a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of religion is when, you know, there are other people in their lives who can ask good questions and and be involved in that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm I'm a big fan. Again, it's not this is not some type of loose, brainless, lovey dovey type of thing. It is an a full integration right. of truth and love. And that's what we want in parenting as well as everything else. It's great. Well, let's take a quick break okay. and then, uh, and then we'll come back with kind of our second half of this conversation. Um, cause I think it's worth talking some more about worldview, uh, the ki- na- nature and character of God and some of the specific, um, booklets and stuff that, that Catherine Covington brought up. Chris, can you just take us maybe on a short, uh, short little brain journey <laughs> when it, in our, in our very intensive studying that oh, we've yeah. done maybe a few minutes before we started this, right? but still just some interesting, uh, interesting insight just from a, an outsider's uh, view of these wisdom booklets, yeah. just to give us maybe a a taste of w- what 
Catherine is where is Catherine's coming from? Well, it was it was intriguing. You know, one of the things that you know, I think an important conversation for people is what what is a cult? What makes a cult? And and so you know, how do you the, recognize how do you a recognize cult? a cult? And 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 those are kind of things. Like there's a lot of a lot of things that are promised, a lot of things that are demanded. You know, there's not there's a lot of typically there's a lot of rigidity um, in the theology and. And um, what's one of the things that's interesting is, um, you know, and and this is one of the things we, we you know in church we always struggle with is, I, you know, I want I want a sermon to be applicable, that you're able to where we'll take the biblical picture and and what's being taught about and and then teach application. But I don't know. There's a, you know there's 500 people in the room. I don't know what how they're going to apply that directly. How they need to apply that in their own lives. I can throw out some general concepts and like, hey, here's I think you probably ought to you know love each other better type of conversations and, and the specifics that are there. But one of the things you spot a lot of times in cults is that cults have very specific and narrow uh, behavioral requirements and definitions for stuff. And just mm-hmm. us jumping into these wisdom booklets that, that again, I, I just, I, I did not know this when, when she said, when Catherine said that they went through these books every year. And then the next year they went back through them again, the same ones. Because there was the always something else. There was always something that you could learn. Always something new to learn, like the Bible. Right. And even that terminology mm-hmm. made me cringe um, in hearing that. And and I, you know, as a kid, my parents went to a couple of Bill Gothard seminar things, and and I didn't understand, you know, nine tenths of what was going on. Maybe maybe way more than that. I just remember that he did these chalk talks where he drew pictures with chalk, and I thought that was kind of cool, but. Um, but he set this up. There's this spiritual authority that's not that that kind of has they okay. I've got the special insight. I get it better than everybody else. I I you know look to me for answers. Look to mm-hmm. me only for answers. And and this idea, what it became more and more specific in these and all of these books. I mean, several dozen books that that you're supposed to go through every year, and they are unbelievably detailed as to everyday things. Mm-hmm. So can give us a give us just a quick taste. So one of the ones I saw was was a, a whole section and this is in the medical heading um which you know was enough to make us very nervous but that we look in the medical headings and it had all kind of detailed things about how to draw people to your countenance, how to get them to look at your face. Um and and again I didn't get to dig into why that was such a big deal to them. But mm-hmm. it was such a strong, like messaging of how do you get people to look at your face, and and it was all kind of you know I mean okay general, you you know smile more, wear mm-hmm. clothes that fit well or that have the right colors, mm-hmm. and I'm not kidding that those were those were in there, um, but then they got down Which, into like at their face are not bad things, right? right. But like, yeah, exactly. Like okay, cool. Yeah, parents need to teach their kids what colors. I guess what mm-hmm. colors work for them. I or mean, uh, basic hygiene, <laughs> or you know, exactly like, wash your hair. I don't, <laughs> but but quickly it moved into which again, there's it's so interesting. From one perspective, there is some potential value in this conversation. I mean, we've talked about in this church regularly. How do we teach the concepts of, for example, modesty? without making it a sexist thing, a shame thing, or a responsibility thing that's out of line. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but but we we cut over quickly. We found these, you know, a picture that shows six different women in clothing 
and and saying like, can you identify the eye traps in these pictures and how would you alter them? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the first thing that stands out probably to most of us is that all six sketches um, of these women are very modest, like, like very mm-hmm. modest, not, not <laughs> like they're quite almost over the top modest. Mm-hmm. And yet in all six of them, you're supposed to spot something that is inappropriate in them, the eye traps in them. And it was, it was amazing to consider like th- this is what these, you know, kids were being taught, this type of stuff they were being taught, not once, but every year over and over again. And, and there was so many pictures, uh, so many examples of, of details on, of, of connecting things historically, connecting things. And some of them were just inaccurate. Um, and then, and then several things that were just, um, you know, I, I didn't even understand the questions connecting one thing to another thing. Um, and so I, I, I just was, I honestly kind of dumbfounded. I have to be very careful now, not that, that I don't have time or energy to, to spend digging into these, um, just to go, man, this is a, uh, this is, this is just strange. Some of the stuff is really strange. And I'm sure if you had really good parents, um, they could take this stuff and make it valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could, they could take some of these things cause it's, again, a lot of it's not wrong. Um, you know, teaching about the but difference like with the way predator or prey, taught. whatever, but yeah, but mm-hmm. if it's, it's just weird how things, you know, one concept is in here and then there's another concept just kind of woven into there. Like there's a good mm-hmm. section on how money works and how bank accounts work and, and that kind of stuff. And not, I mean, okay, that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then there's, you know, there's the sections about, you know, how much you're supposed to eat or drink and how you're supposed to use these different vitamin systems and, and how you're supposed to avoid these medications and how this is unhealthy or that's unhealthy. And I mean, I think a lot of that's just ina- inaccurate. Um, and, and how we're supposed to have our daily bread that, because mm-hmm. you know, that that's apparently an instruction in the Bible is that we're supposed to get daily bread. So um, I, I don't think that's what that that's passage wise. is about. And so, yeah. um, so anyway, I, I just, I think there's just a, a lot here and the idea of having to go through this with my children mm. and year and after year, year after year and edit out like, okay, so this, this is bad that we're going to ignore this. And, and, but this part's good. And, but when you have a parent that I think this was what Catherine was saying, her parents did not come from good backgrounds. And so, oh my gosh, we've got this guide just made for us, right? All we got to do is follow the guide and, and we'll nail it. Like really good intentions. Yeah. Yep. So anyway. Well, and two, the other, oh, sorry, go you're ahead. You're good. You're good. That's good. Well, it just seems, I think one of the things that stands out is you just are kind of reading through some of it and like, in honesty, none of us, none of the three of us have read through all of them. So no, not even close. I know there's mm-hmm. so much more that we're not even understanding the full picture. But I think a couple of things that stand out just looking through it briefly is it's it seems to be communicating, and I think this is like a great thing for us to be aware of when it comes to false teaching and cults and whatever it is. Um, to be aware of anything that presents. All truth is like as important as the gospel. I don't know if I'm mm, yep. like y'all. Y'all may need to reword the way I'm saying that, but 
it's like there are true things. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like a good thing to wear colors that draw people to your face. Like there's some scientific backing behind that, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like that is not the same importance as like loving your neighbor as yourself. It's like a true thing, but I think one of the dangers that seems to come from something like this is like we're presenting some good concepts, some scientific concepts, some things that we've just come up with that Mm -hmm. seem like that we're presenting as scientific concepts. um, And we're presenting it all as biblical truth of like, like the gospel, you have to live by all of this. Yes. And that is really dangerous and harmful, Mm. but I think it's really easy to slip into without realizing it. I don't think any of us would admit that we were doing that like easily, but I think it's really easy for us to do that, especially in today's culture, because all of culture is, um, you know, we're, we're all dying on a lot of Hills that we might should have more grace on just when it comes to culture, even, you know what I'm saying? When it comes to like having conversations with each other, but I think we have to be really careful when it comes to like, yes, like we said in the last episode, there is truth and there's absolute truth. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's also things that are true that we don't need to present as gospel. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, you can even go back to Colossians, right. Talking about false, like a false gospel of people saying like, no, you need to live according to, you know, to really be in line with what God wants for you, you gotta, you gotta live according to the Jewish traditions, you know, you right. gotta live it according to the Jewish laws. Yeah. And it's like that, that whole idea of adding more to the gospel has been around for so long. And I've, but it, but just like you were saying, Brent, I think it's so easy to, yeah, to fall into that or to, because the, the, the whole self-help thing or the promise of, X or Y is appealing. And so it's like, okay, well, if I add to this, make it more important. Right. You know, it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to fall into as humans, I think. Yes. It's a gosh. And, and how often do we fall into that? Like, um, going, going to church is as important as the gospel. Right. Well, going to church is important and it is a part of being living the Christian life and pick it, blah, blah, blah. And it's not, the gospel. Um, and so how right. do we, mm-hmm. or, you know, being modest is important, um, but it's not the gospel. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great point is when, is when everything is treated as equally important like that, that's, that's a bad mm-hmm. sign. And when it's treated as not a nuanced conversation. So like you just said, modesty is a really I mean, it's important, but it's a complex conversation. It's mm-hmm. nuanced. It's not just like all people in all cultures throughout all of time. This is modest and this is immodest. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. And I think when we treat true things like they aren't complex sometimes or difficult to understand the full application of it, like that's also doing a disservice when I say like, yes, I have the exact accurate application of truth on all fronts in all areas of life. Like that's right. Really. Like she said, Bill Gothard, like essentially putting himself in evil, even playing field with God. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's you always, when when a human being has that authority to speak for God and, and, you know, not, you know, that they get to say, okay, here, here is unequivocally, what God thinks, not just about a few things, but about everything. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I think that's... Like the secret knowledge yeah. kind of a deal. That's, that's a bad sign. And I think we run yeah, into that and we've you, seen that there. Yeah. Or even like when we're talking to other believers of like, we can both love Jesus and agree that like some of these concepts are complex or we may disagree on the application of them when it comes to like lesser things that aren't the gospel. Um, because I think when you get into a point where it's like, you have to eat like this to be a believer, you have to dress like this to be a believer. Like, yes, the truth and the gospel applies and there are, there are scripture applies to all of life. And so any concept that I think Chris, you have said this multiple times, but anything that we run into, even if scripture doesn't directly address dating, there are biblical concepts that, that show us how to do that. Right. But I think we have to be careful when it's like to be a biblical believer on all fronts of life. Like this is exactly what you have to do when it comes to lesser things like diet and you know, like all of those things. Right. It is. It's, it's very, it's, um, dangerous. And I think it's a taking on a responsibility that we don't have. Um, I think that's part of yeah. why teachers will get judged and, more harshly. Um, it says in James. Totally. Um, and it seems unattainable, like she said. Mm-hmm. It's never enough. There's always something else. It's not. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's not teaching those around you or your kids. Like, here's principles. Here's how to figure out what's godly. Here's how to come to the Lord and and the grace that he offers and say like, okay, how do I live out my faith in all these aspects of life? Which is a beautiful thing of like, how do I take the truth that God has given me and apply it to every aspect of my life? And instead it's setting this standard of like, no, this is what you have to do and it's never enough. And I think even the way that that can be applied, it can be a beautiful thing instead of such a scary legalistic one. You know? Right. Yep. When it's a conversation anyway, you're able to have together just... with, family and friends and, and religious leaders and, and biblical, you know, what the Bible says about it. That's, that's when we're, that's why we need that, uh, community. Not that we're, again, there are certain things that we're able to say with confidence. This is what scripture teaches consistently throughout the whole thing. Right. And, and we're going to go there. And then there are concepts. I mean, I think my favorite one was when I, you know, I spent almost a year studying rest and, and mm-hmm. and was shocked to discover how little detail there was in the Bible about what rest was supposed to look like behaviorally. And so I think that was on purpose. I think if, if God had wanted, because there's a lot of passages that have a lot of detail and how this one doesn't, well, I think that's because it's the, it, it, we have to wrestle with that within our community, what counts as rest and what doesn't. So... Anyway. And it was like you've said before, it was created for us. Yeah. And created like for us to worship God. And instead the Pharisees turn it into a list of rules that we have to accomplish. Yep. Well, That's a great example. Yep. And let's, let's, do we have time to try to unpack just a little bit? There was a really fascinating question she asked and we didn't get into it. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, if she can, I think we, we do have to, time. I think it's worth yeah, it'll take a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What was the, uh, I think, uh, Bryn, you were referencing the, the three traits that felt contradictory to her. Yeah. I I thought it was such a, a, 
she described her own struggle with this so articulately. I thought it was really good. She said that particularly after the trauma that she experienced and the heartbreak that she experienced that she described, um, she said that it's been impossible for her to see how God can be all three things at once, all three being all good, all powerful and all knowing because she said at any point in time, she could see how he could be two of those, but not three. So for example, he could be all good and all powerful and just doing things to the best of his knowledge, but there's still suffering and bad things that happen because he's not all knowing. Or for example, he's all powerful and all knowing. And yet things are happening in the world because he's not all good. Or like the, the combination of the two is believable, but the combination of all three is what seems implausible. And I thought that was like a very articulate way of describing just the wrestling with the evil and suffering in the world that she has personally deeply experienced. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought that was a great question. Yep. All good, all powerful, all knowing. Yep. So this is a, um, well, it is an old, um, question. Um, and these three things, um, it's been around for a long, long time. In fact, I might could find the ancient version of it. Um, if God is all knowing, um, I'll have to find it, but, but it's the question of human suffering. Um, that is a, it's a, there's a famous like way of saying it. Um, that I think is, I'll have to, maybe I can find it. But anyway, there's a famous way of just like one phrase saying it, that if we can find it, that'll be great. But the idea being, as she pointed out, you know, um, that, you know, and a guy that has any two of these traits is plausible, I guess, but you add in the third one. And, and I think the, the step that maybe she was missing, which I very gently touched on in the conversation was, was when I asked about what type of, um, engineer she was. And, and I think the problem comes down to all knowing. I think all knowing is what throws people off is that they say, well, if God is, is all good, if he's omnibenevolent, if he's all good, then they'll say something. And I think she said this, that if God is all good, he wouldn't want there to be suffering. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that right there is, I, I would disagree with that statement. Being all good doesn't mean you wouldn't want suffering. There are lots of good things that come from suffering. Um, In fact, there's a lot of good things in the human experience now that only suffering can lead to. Um, And someone could say, well, God could create a universe where good things could come without suffering. Maybe if that's logically plausible. But that's, that's God's prerogative. But that's God's prerogative. In this conversation. Yeah. Right. And so, and so if you say, if, if God is, is all good, then he wouldn't make the people wouldn't suffer. Um, and that's just, I, I think they, that statement is a statement I would disagree with. And it connects to if God is all knowing, then he would know how to keep people from suffering. Um, and if he was all powerful, then he could keep them from suffering. And so why is there suffering? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that's the fundamental question. And I think, I think what we're looking at with this is, what we talked about um, a long time ago with David Smalley and others that we've talked to 
And it comes down to the fact that if God is all-knowing, he would know exactly what amount of suffering is right and what amount of suffering is worthwhile and what amount of suffering is morally sound. And we have a thousand different analogies that we can all do. Um, Under the all-good heading, we can talk about, you know, taking your child to the dentist or to the doctor. You just recently took your baby to get shots. And what a horrible thing to do to cause him to suffer that way you know, for them to give him all these vaccines and stuff. And he was probably not happy about it, I suspect, right? No. (laughs) And so at that moment, if you could have, if he could have spoken, he would have said, you know, mommy, why are you allowing me to suffer this way? Um, If you really loved me, you wouldn't let me suffer this way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you explain to Mm -hmm. your infant, this is, this? I've, I've got your best interest at heart here. And so there are, we, even though that does not perfectly apply, mm-hmm. obviously, um, that creates yeah. the, the understanding that there is a logical coherence to, to causing something in someone's life that are or allowing, or, uh, not allowing causing. even causing. And the example being like yeah. you giving him shots. I mean, that is, that is causing, you scheduled it, like, like you caused him pain and it was for his good. Right. But saying like God doesn't cause things like child abuse and, you know. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't have to be that he caused it. Yeah. Um, it could be that he just allowed right. it. Um, and, and why wouldn't God stop it? Well, Regardless. God knows mm-hmm. what happens if the person is abused and God knows what happens if they aren't abused. Mm-hmm. And he knows how that cascades out into all of creation. And so apparently has decided that there is a worthwhile, there is a morally worthwhile benefit to that type of suffering. And again, that sounds horrible, and I can't fathom it, and I don't understand mm-hmm. it, and and like I don't have to understand it. I don't understand why doctors have to do vaccines the way they do either sometimes. And so, there's a lot of things that, and that falls down well, to the all knowing part. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, so, but are you saying you think that everything God allows is because of that reason, or it just applies to some? Because I think. When it comes to the brokenness of the world, we would also say like there are some things, I mean, God can bring redemption from anything, but it's not necessarily like he allows everything that's broken only because it will necessarily bring something better, right? Like it doesn't... You would have to are say... You, you always think mm-hmm. that he... I, you would have to be able to say, and, and I do think this, that God always has a morally sufficient reason for allowing suffering. Um, if he right, ever doesn't have a morally sufficient reason, then he situation. should cause it. He should stop it. Right. But I'm saying we can't necessarily say anything God allows is a better alternative than if it hadn't happened. It's just that he can bring good things from them. Is that a good way? You, you could that, say it that way not? too. The, the, I, I think the most precise way of saying is, is that God has a, uh, God apparently has a morally sufficient reason for allowing whatever suffering he allows. Um, I do think you have to have that. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, we were just thinking back to a response from a listener that we had uh, a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes the dentist conversation when it comes to like really traumatic, hard things can seem insensitive. Right. Just because it's like, how could you compare the abuse that I experienced as a child to going to the dentist or, you know, like right. it, even though it's not, it can seem like 
is insensitive or over oversimplifying someone's pain or right. saying like, well, God allowed it because obviously there's something better that comes from it than if it hadn't happened. And I don't think we're trying to communicate that. Oh gosh, right? no. So that's, we're not, it's not the same thing as, um, to, to compare things is not to say they are the same. Um, right. if I, if, if, you know, if I say a, a basketball is round and the Death Star is round, I'm not equating them. I'm just saying they mm -hmm. both share this one trait. They're both round. In the same way, um, taking someone to the dentist is allowing them or even causing them to suffer, and there is a positive benefit um, for it. In the same way, therefore, we know that suffering can lead to a positive benefit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, okay. um, and that's all that we're saying. So we know that. So is it possible that God allowed a certain suffering in your life because it is in your best interest for him to allow it. No matter how unthinkable it seems, is it possible that it's in your best interest that he allowed that? And I think absolutely it is possible that it is even in your best interest for but him also, to allow it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But that's not a, but I'm not saying that's time, like a, sometimes yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> a little, we got a little delay um, here. Apparently, I think at this, I know. I'm sorry. I thought you were, I wasn't trying to interrupt. You're good. Um, but at the same time, I think when you're in the midst of such a heart wrenching pain, right. That doesn't seem like a sufficient answer. Well, it's not comforting answer at all. Yeah. 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 It's not. And, and that's one of the difficulties is, and that's what, um, you know, Dan Ray talked about. It's it, emotionally, it is not a comforting, there's nothing comforting about that answer. Um, I mean, unless you find comfort in going, well, maybe God's going to do something good with this. That can't, I guess that can be comforting. It does not in any way minimize the suffering and the pain and the hardship and the, all that kind of stuff. So that is a, that is, that's just, just here that, that, that is a comparison, a, re, a, a relating of two things to make a philosophical point. Um, right. um, and so it's not. There's nothing about that that is going to offer any comfort. It's it merely is answering a philosophical question. Um, mm -hmm. The the comfort though there is a comfort in knowing there can be a redemption even to my suffering, and and that mm -hmm. there's something about that that can be comforting to know. Okay, it is not outside. It's not impossible that there is some val some validity. Um, to this, and I don't understand what it is, and I can't understand what it is, and that's the advantage that a theist has, is that a theist can say, "Oh, there are, there is possible redemption for this," and the atheist can't. Mm -hmm. The atheist yeah. has no; it's just suffering for the atheist. Um, but for the theist, there is a God who might bring ultimate meaning, if not value, at least meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to our suffering. And only a God could do that. Um, only a God would know how to make that call. And mm -hmm. so and all being all good would mean he could allow it because there's a morally sufficient reason. And all knowing would mean he knows what the morally sufficient reason when it's there and what it would be. And again, not, not meant to be comforting um, in, mm -hmm. in a general yeah. sense. And it's I just an answer. You're not at a place... Right. And I think if you're at a place where you 
are not in relation, like you don't feel like you and God are on good terms um, or you are, you know, angry with him for the, cause like she said, just the feeling of um, just looking at God and saying like the audacity of someone who's seeking you seemingly getting no answers. And then this being the result being so much pain mm-hmm. um, and the, you know, she just expressed that type of like, I, I have no desire to, even if there's like redemption coming from this, I don't think she's at a place where she um, believes that that can be the case or even want to explore that because, you know, she Mm -hmm. doesn't understand how it, she was just like, I don't, I don't, desire relationship or to follow someone who could allow this right now. Mm. I um, thought maybe the most like, insightful thing that ahead. I love that she said was when she said she didn't think she would want to follow a God who did not make allowances for her friend's mental illness or for his suicide. Mm. And for that, his searching. Well, and it was yes. part of his searching. Yep. Yeah. And I thought that was really potent because uh, again, that goes back to what we've talked about before. Like, I, yeah, I would agree. I don't think I would want to follow a God who doesn't make allowances for for failures and foibles mm-hmm. and troubles. And and I, and I think, I think the God of the Bible does make those allowances. And I think we see lots of examples of that. And so, I I I thought that was a great question on her part. Was you know, does God make allowance? And I think she had been taught essentially that he didn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that, well, her, her well, friend committed I, suicide and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Her fiance. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And also from her perspective, he was seeking God and didn't find the answers that he was looking for. Right. So what do you do with, you know, that when it comes to, it doesn't seem that God is, is answering when you're seeking. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's impossible without without knowing. You'd have to know. I'd have to know so much more to even try to uh, unpack that. I wouldn't even. I don't know where to begin with that. Like yeah, what what was like going you're on? Such a great question. Yeah, it is. It's a great question, and I hate. You know, obviously, I mean, we we would all hate for her that in the end he ended up taking his own life, and then how. I just, you, you hate to say, well, you know, there's this such a strong, you know, while there's life, there's hope mm-hmm. feeling about mm-hmm. the world. And you just, you just, it's so sad and heartbreaking and it's not, there's not an easy answer to these things and there's not going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, by the way, part of why I'm a Christian is because the, the Bible does not make a claim on there being an easy answer, mm-hmm. um, that it is complex and it is difficult for us. Um, but I, I, I like, I like being able to have someone to trust in that if I don't get it, he does, Mm. um, that there's someone who's at that, at that pay scale, so to speak, (laughs) that, that he's wrestling with those. And we've talked about the the problem of suffering is always going to be a hard one. Um, but the irony is of, of all of the hard, rough, if I could say bad answers, but of all the hard answers, I still feel like theism has the best answer. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that there, there is a God who can redeem and bring meaning and value even yeah. to suffering. I don't know how it'd be so hard to face suffering without that right. as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's totally. tough. That's, that's 
such a hard, Chew. hard Gosh. conversation nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. I so appreciate her bringing these things though. I mean, what, what a great, um, what a oh, great conversation and to give us yeah. the opportunity to wrestle with them as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And not just on an intellectual level. I think it's so important to hear, you know, from someone who's personally wrestling with it. Right. And because it's not just an intellectual problem, you know, when we minimize it to that, like you're saying it, it's, um, minimizing the heartbreak that comes with how hard this is to wrestle with, you know, mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers. All right, done. <laughs>